Amen. Thank you, worship team and everyone. Good morning, church family. If you would, take your copy of God's Word and open it up, please, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, a new way of living. That's where we are in this letter uh, to the churches there in Asia Minor, what we would call Galatia today, or Turkey today, Galatia then. So, If you remember last week, we were discussing and talked about Christ and His suffering, and because Christ suffered, we have victory. Well, now in that victory that we have, Peter is expounding upon that thought and is teaching the church family during that time and also for us today that showing us how to live the victory out. It's one great thing to know, yes, we have victory, but pastor... How do I live that victory out today? Uh, How do I live it out on Monday and on Wednesday and on Saturday and then a month from now? Because it's great to know that we have victory and the ultimate victory is that we're going to heaven. But from the day that you got saved to the day that you get to heaven, the days in between there, how do you live them out? Because we live in literally a a topsy-turvy world and we live now with more restrictions, it seems, than ever before. How are we as believers in Jesus, followers of Christ, Christians, how are we to live that life out? Peter shows us and tells us this this morning here in First Peter chapter 4. So hopefully you have your Bible or your electronic device turned there. You know one thing on the electronic devices, if you have one, well, raise your hand if you have your Bible on an electronic device this morning. Do me a favor, will you download a sound app so that when you're moving in your electronic version of the Bible, it sounds like pages turning? That just make me feel better. I'm, I'm sorry, it just make me feel better. Uh, you know what? Here's, I'm going let's, to, let's, I want someone, because I know that we have people in here who are really good with computers. If you would make a Bible app that sounds like pages turning, holy cow. Don't say that in India, but holy cow. I'm telling you what, Jesus would have a field day. So anyway, let's stand to honor God's word this morning. As we read here these six verses to what Peter is wanting us to know on how to live out the victorious life that we have. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind who, I mean, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, rivalries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Buddy, that's a really good list. Number four, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. Now, that word dead there in verse 6 is different from the one previous in verse 5. Who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but alive, or but live according to God in the Spirit. So, Father, teach us how to live the hope that we have out. It's a great thing to know that we have this hope. It's a great way to know that we have this victory in Jesus. But, Father, there's got to be a new way of living to prove to those around us that we are different. We're not like them. And they really need to see it because the world out here is struggling, 
struggling to find peace, truth, and hope. And we who are your church, we have that peace, truth, and hope. And we just need to show it to them and tell it to them as well. So, Lord, lead us, teach us, and guide us. For we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name and God's precious people said, amen. Please be seated. Well, church family, two points this morning to this passage, two points. Some of you are saying, "Woo, not three. But you know as well as I do, sometimes I'm longer on two points than I am on three. Uh, But we have a special event this afternoon, so I'm going to try to keep it right and tight. And in North Carolina, we would say right and tight, but uh, right and tight this morning. All right, now, uh, we have this new way of living. So in order to live this new life, because we now have victory through the suffering of Jesus, in order to live this out, number one is this, live every moment for God. As we are living this new life out, we no longer live it out for ourselves anymore, but we live this life every moment for God. Does that make sense? Say amen. Our lives now are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Our birth certificates now belong to Jesus Christ. The day that you got saved, you gave your birth certificate to King Jesus. Why does that make sense? Because whoever has the thing has you. Just like in my household, I have another person's birth certificate. I own him. And I will until the day I'm gone. Uh, but, uh, But we need to live every moment, every second, every day, week, month for God. So again, last week we saw that we have victory through the sufferings of Christ. And then Peter would seem to say it again. It says, therefore. Now the word therefore should take you already back to what he's already mentioned. But Peter, just to drive an emphasis home, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. He is making sure that we don't forget that the salvation that we have came at a great cost. So Isaiah chapter 53, you could write this down, go to it later. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 is the suffering servant passage in Isaiah. Isaiah writes this, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Folks, never forget that you were bought with the most supreme price that God could give, and it was His only begotten Son. Never forget the cost of your salvation. The moment we forget the cost of our salvation is the moment we strut around like a peacock in a barnyard thinking that we deserve to be saved. None of us deserved to be saved. It was only by the grace of God that we are saved. I'm reminded of that that hymn, that song, that uh, we are used to singing the old rugged cross. And the writer of that writes this in the first verse, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Before you were saved, you were a sinner. And it's just by a miraculous event at the cross that we're no longer sinners, but we're saints. So we can't forget, it says, therefore... Since Christ suffered uh, for us in the flesh. So since he did that in the flesh, we are to arm ourselves. Arm ourselves is, is not literally to take up a sword or a gun or a knife, 
but that we arm ourselves spiritually. And, and Paul would tell us how to arm ourselves spiritually in Ephesians chapter 6, where he gives us this spiritual armor starting in verse 10. But we are to make sure that we are on guard spiritually every day, that we have an enemy. Now listen, Satan is not God's enemy, right? Because in order to have an enemy, your enemy has to be almost of equal power to you, correct? Do you follow my logic there? There is no one that has equal power with God. The Bible tells us that God is all-powerful, so Satan is not God's enemy, but Satan is the church's enemy, the saint's enemy. He is our enemy. We still deal with him. So we need to guard ourselves. Uh, we still battle with this world. We still battle with our old flesh, and we still battle with Satan each and every day. So we have to arm ourselves spiritually. We have to, we have to arm ourselves. It says that trying to go back here. It says, arm yourselves also with the same mind. What was that mind? It's the mind of Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus was here, he even battled Satan. But how did Jesus battle Satan? Did he pick up a stone and throw it at him? No, because he knew that wouldn't work against Satan. Uh, did he pick up a sword and try to stab him? No, he knew that wouldn't work against Satan. But when Jesus was tempted 40 days in the wilderness, on day 38, 39, and 40, so to speak, at the height of Jesus' suffering in the wilderness, that's when old Slewfoot, the dragon, Satan, uh, the one who, who tried to disrupt everything in the beginning, comes in and attacks Jesus. That's who we deal with. Sometimes Satan doesn't come at our weakest. Sometimes he comes at our strongest. Sometimes Satan doesn't attack us where we're strongest, but he will attack us where we have a blind side. So we have to be careful. We have to arm ourselves. You know another way of arming yourselves is to have godly people around you. Amen. Oh, come on. Who you hang with and who are your friends will determine who you are. Who, because who is speaking into your life will determine what speaks out of your life. So if you hang around, if you hang around godly brothers and sisters in Christ, that's just going to come out of you. But if you hang around the pig pen long enough, I promise you this, you're going to get a little dirty. So don't, 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 don't go there. So we, we have to arm ourselves. We have to make sure that we're taking guard. And it says for this, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased <clears throat> to sin. Uh, we understand that as what he is saying, that that is not Christ he's talking of there, but us, that we have suffered in the flesh. Because we have come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that there are going to be those times as we follow him that we're going to suffer, but that shows us in our suffering that we have ceased to sin, that sin no longer has his sway over us. Did you know that the day that you got saved that you subjugated yourself to a new master? I don't like that. No, you did. You have a new master. Your new master is Jesus Christ. And that when sin comes back up into your life, and it will, usually about five minutes after you get saved, I'm just saying, but it will come up. You do not have to say yes to the old master of your life anymore. Satan, sin, flesh, and the world. Does that make sense? You don't have to do it. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. And in with that power of the new master that you have, Jesus Christ, you can tell sin, no. No. I'm not doing that. I answer to a new master. His name is Jesus, and I don't have to do that anymore. 
I don't know about you, that makes me feel happy that I don't have to be determined by those things of our past life, of my past life any, anymore. Now look in verse 2, that he no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but to do the will of God. Should no longer live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. Ever been to a camp meeting? Raise your hand if you've just been to one of those old-fashioned camp meetings where they had sawdust out. You know, I mean, they're slobbering and snot coming out everywhere the preacher is. I mean, he's shucking corn and shelling peas. Uh, I mean, I mean, he's just going with it. I saw one time at a camp meeting. Have y'all ever heard of the Burlington Revival? It just happened back in 2018 or 17. No, 2016, excuse me. 20, the Burlington Revival in Burlington, North Carolina. Let me give you a little bit of history lesson about Burlington, North Carolina. You didn't pay for this. I'm just going to give it to you anyways. This is free. So my family, the Schaffners, we settled Burlington. There, there's your free bit of information for today. But a, a guy who uh, is pastoring a church in uh, North Augusta, South Carolina, did, did the Burlington Revival back in 2016. And he put up one of those big tents off of I-40. And it actually started out a church. And then it just erupted and God just began to do a move. And I remember uh, it was on Facebook. They were showing on Facebook. And in the middle of his preaching, folks, I kid you not, how he did it without any assistance, he just jumped up on top of the pulpit. I, there wasn't a stool there or anything. And I can't do that. Uh, he must have really prayed up hard. But, I mean, it, it just snot slinging and spit flying and all that stuff like that. But if you've ever been to one of those, usually they'll get somebody to come up and do a testimony. And it'll go a little bit like this. Well, let me tell you about how I used to live. You know what I'm talking about? And they'll spend the next two hours talking about every sin in detail that they did. I don't need to hear that. And then they'll say, I got saved, praise God, amen. No, no, don't, don't, don't do that. I remember being at a church one time. They were doing a revival. And in the middle of the message, guy gets up, says, hey, brother, so-and-so. I just want you to know, when I used to live in southern Ohio, I, I visited every honky-tonk and bar and everything like this. And I'm, the first time I've ever experienced this, I'm like, what? But we no longer live that way anymore. Wouldn't it be great to go to a camp meeting and a revival and say, listen, I don't need to tell you about all the sins I used to do because that's behind me now. That's under the blood. That's on the other side of the cross. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me since I got saved. Woo, praise the Lord. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear some victory. Listen, we don't need to bring sin in the church. Hello, I walked in. You walked in. No, but let's bring Jesus. One of the hardest things I ever dealt with was losing my wife. And I can tell you from November the 18th, on 2016 until October the 17th of 2021. Let me share with you what Jesus has done in my life. I mean, he's done some great things. Share those. Those are victories. Share those things. Amen, church? Share the great things that God has done. Not like, well, let me tell you how I use No, don't do that. We don't need to do that. Because look what it says here. We've been saved from that. And it says, but for the will of God, did you know? Did you know that every one of you in here this morning, if you are a child of God, you've been saved by grace, Jesus died for your sins, that God has a special plan for your life. Pastor, you don't know how old I am. No, but God does. And you still have a plan. If you are still vertical 
on planet earth and you're not laying six feet horizontal underground, God still has a plan and a will for you. And somebody's like, well, I don't know what it is. Spend time with him and figure it out. Sometimes God uses those things in us that we like, and he turns those into gifts. Sometimes God will give you a, a gift, a spiritual gift, that you thought you would never do. And he says, well, I'm going to change you, buddy. And you do something that is outside the norm for you, but you, get, you give God credit for it. We all have a plan for our lives. We all have that. And that ultimate plan is to work in the kingdom of God. And we all have different functions in the kingdom of God. You need to figure out what yours is real quick and do it. Amen? Don't miss out. Don't, don't miss out on serving God. Is serving God fun? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. Hey, pastor, what do you do during, during a week? Do you really want to know? Come spend a day in the life and times of Pastor God. I ought to start my own TV reality series or reality TV. I really do. I, I've really thought about it. I'm going to call USA Network up and say, hey, how about y'all come follow me? That I, I promise you will make millions. I'll, I'll, I'll don, donate 90% of it to the church. I'll live on 10%. You heard me say that. I told, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. If, if any, at any chance, God willing, no, not God willing, God forbid, that, that somehow or another I find a lottery ticket. Notice I said find. I'd tie that 99% of it to the church. But no, I, let's do a reality TV series. Let's follow Pastor Scott around. I mean, you'll see me behind closed doors pulling my hair out, crying, uh, you know, whatever. But no, let's just do that. But I can tell you this. I know what God's plan is for my life. It's to be a pastor. It's to be a, it's to be a preacher. And it's to spend time with you and to love on you. That's what I want to do. That's where I get my energy from is being with y'all. When I can't be here on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning, it eats at me. Why? You get a day off. Really? Thanks. No, this is fun for me. And being with you on Wednesday night, that's fun for me. Amen? Some of y'all aren't, I mean, golly day, you're like, we don't care. <laughs> but no, I know what God's, but figure out what God's plan is for your life. Pray, find out what it is, and let him teach you so that you know. Listen, we don't have a lot of time on earth. We, we don't. Psalm 90 verse 10 says this, the days of our lives are 70 years. If by if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we will fly away. Woo, I like that last part. We will fly away. I start singing, I'll fly away. No, listen, we have, we're, we're guaranteed at least 70 years. But, but Pastor, you just said that your, your wife passed. Yes, yeah, she was 36. Well, why, why, why didn't she make the seven years? I'll tell you why. Sin, not because of sin that she did, but because of sin of this world, that our bodies decay. The moment that you're conceived, you begin to die. That's kind of a reality check, isn't it? And we deal with sin in the world. And sin comes up in our bodies in different types of infirmities and illnesses, like cancer, the dreaded C word. Uh, but if we believe in Jesus, we'll fly away. So we don't have a lot of time. Ever how many days that God has determined for you to have, that is your life, do what you must in order to do it for God. Does that make sense? Uh, that's, what, that's what we need to do. We, we need to make sure that we fulfill that and that we live every moment for God because life is very short and we need to take advantage of every opportunity that we can to live for Him. So that's one way to have the victorious life, a new way of living. Now, number two, live a new life of hope for God. No, not only do we live every moment for God, but we need to make sure that this new life we have, we are living it in hope. 
I don't understand why it is sometimes that we as believers, we walk around like we're at a perpetual funeral service. Some of the happiest people I know are not believers in Jesus. Some of the saddest people I know are, believer, and I, are believers in Jesus, and I don't get that. We ought to be walking around, even, even if somebody drops an anvil on your foot, praise the Lord. You had a foot to drop it on. How many of you have ever taken a hammer and hit your thumb? You've heard me say this before, yeah. Hey, be thankful that you had a thumb to hit. You might not afterwards, but that. Look in verse 3, it says this, For we have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles. Now, Peter would use the word Gentiles. In other places in the New Testament, it would be the word Greek or Greeks. He would use that as a way of saying, uh, it says, For we have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles or the unsaved. We have spent far too much time living the life of an unsaved person. Because before Christ, that's who we were. We were not saved. We were not the redeemed. We were not in the kingdom of God. We were not in the church. So we have spent, notice this, have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles. It says, when we walked in, and then he gives this whole litany of sins, lewdness, lust, drunkenness, rivalries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. That's what we used to do. But we don't do that anymore. And so there is a difference. So listen, if we don't do that anymore, then here's some reasons why we ought to be have hope in our lives that we are no longer doing. Just go down to the idolatry thing. Hey, pastor, what about all the other stuff? Don't do those either, but have the idolatry. Anything that takes its place of God on the throne of your heart is an idol. Anything, it doesn't matter what it is. Electronics, money, relationships, material possessions, anything that you put above God, that is an idol. And that idol will cause you to do some very bad things. Matter of fact, that idol will cause you to do the, the, the list of sins before it's mentioned there. It'll call you, cause you to be lewd and to be lustful and to go have drunkenness and drinking parties, rivalries, things of that nature. Rivalries is another term for fighting. What happens when you get drunk? You'll punch anything. I mean, you've seen people out here sometimes, and, you know, you can't really do that here in Florida. Our light poles are made out of concrete. You're not going to have a fist left, but go ahead. That's how we ought not to live. We've been saved from that, and we don't have to do those sins. We can say no to those sins from the old master. Because we used to do that in our old life, but now in the new life, we have a new master. We can say no to lewdness and no to lust and no to drunkenness and no to rivalries, no to drinking parties, and no to abominable idolatries. We don't have to do that. That's part of this new life, and we have hope now. We, have hope. we don't have to do that. Now look in verse 4, it says, In regard to these things, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So this flood of dissipation, what, what is that? It means like as if, uh, think of a tsunami. And when a tsunami comes in, it's just, it's just total destruction. The, the last tsunami on record was the one that happened in Japan around 2010 and wiped out the uh, parts of northern Japan. And, and remember, it made really big news because it, it overtook a nuclear reactor an, an energy-producing facility there in Japan, it was really bad. And so people were afraid that the reactors would, would breach and it would release 
uh, nuclear uh, radiation into the atmosphere, kind of like Chernobyl, but it, it didn't happen. They were able to get it under control. But that's kind of what a tsunami is. And think about, that's how we used to live our life. We, we, we allowed that sin to so overtake our life that it just completely consumed us. Ever been at the beach and just let a wave take you and what happens to you? You hit the bottom, that's what sin used to do to us. Can I get an amen? Right? That's what we allowed it to do to us. We're just like, I'm just going to let it just take me out. And it, knock, I mean, it knocks you down, it tumbles you over. That's the flood of dissipation that he's talking about there. And so that's what we allowed sin to use to do. It used to take total control over us. It says, in these regards, they think it's strange when you don't do that anymore. So those people who used to be our old friends in our old life, they look at you now and they don't understand you anymore. They don't understand how you who used to be against the things of God are now for the things of God. You used to talk bad about people who are saved, but now you are one and you talk about good things about the people who are saved. You used to hate the Bible and didn't even own one, and now you own one and put one in every room and one on the back bench of your car, and you have it everywhere. You who used to think that, well, hey, it doesn't matter what people do as long as they don't bother me, and now you have a new morality, and you're like, no, that's right, and there are things that are right and things that are wrong, and they can't figure out what is wrong with you. Does that make sense? How many of you have ever been there? You've had friends like that. You got saved at a later age of life, and people have that. I have a friend in ministry, and that was him. He, they, they couldn't figure him out. They thought he was strange because he had a new life, and it, had, it gave him a new hope. And they're like, man, hey, you get saved, and they come and say, hey, you want to go to the bar? No, I don't do that anymore. But to ha- how about we go down here to the local juice shop and go get us a grape juice? They're like, are you nuts? No, that's just who you are now. They don't understand who you are. They can't understand why you're not wanting to be with them anymore. You you go back to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about who we once were. It says, In you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. That's who we used to be. But can I tell you who you are now? You're a child of the king. You're a brother of Jesus Christ. You're in the church. You're redeemed. You're in the kingdom of God. Saved by grace. You're not those things anymore. So he, he tells us that we don't do that. He tells us that, listen, people are going to find us strange and that's okay. Listen, you ought to be worried about if you're a believer and people look at you and they don't think that you're any different from them. Right? That's when we need to be worried because then our life is not standing in stark contrast to who they are. And that's what the world needs to see. They need to see that there is something different about us. But when they look at us and they're like, well, why do I want to go there? Y'all act no different than I do. Then we have a problem. Correct? Amen, church? We need to be different. We need to live that life of hope so that people can see it. We need to live that new life out each and every day and taking advantage of each and every moment that we have. Look in verse 5. It says, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So just know this. Everybody's going to get judged. 
even us, we're going to get judged. Uh, we, we know that uh, Scripture is plain. This is uh, everyone will die and then comes the judgment. Uh, we understand that. Everybody will face death and then comes the judgment. Uh, but the living and the dead here, who is Peter talking about? Well, one, the living there, he's talking about believers. Yes, we get judged. First off, our judgment is past. We have been judged. We have been judged at Calvary. Amen. We, we, we are washed under the blood. Jesus took our sin penalty for us. If you were a believer in Jesus Christ, what that transaction did, you gave Jesus your sin. He took it as his. Jesus gave you his righteousness and made it your righteousness. That's what happened on Calvary. Judgment's passed. Ju judgment's passed. We have received the mercy of God. And at Calvary, the mercy of God withholds what we deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve God's judgment and wrath. But Jesus took that, and now we get the love of God on us. But the grace of God is that we get what we don't deserve, a personal relationship with God. That's what we don't deserve. And so that's what we have. And so he's talking about believers here, the living. Folks, listen, God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And when we go and we take our loved ones out there and we bury them out there, they are not dead. They are alive in Christ. They are with Him. They are with the Father in heaven. Pete's sakes, we got to get that into our mind. Listen, we don't just die. All we do is we change our dress. That's all you do. The moment you close your eyes in death on this side of heaven, you open them up in the presence of His heaven. Amen? And, and, and we need to get that into our collective thinking. But it says this about those of us uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is just to believers. To each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is where we receive our rewards. So during the seven years of the tribulation, that's what's happening. That's why I'm telling you, go out here and do something good for Jesus. Because you want to have something that he gives you. Here's your rewards. And when you have them there in your hands, then you take them and just lay them back at the feet of Jesus. Do you know that some people, when they get to heaven, won't get the tin hoop off a coffee pot? Because they believed that all they did when they got saved was get out a hell-free card. And they're just going to ride the glory train in. No, don't, please, please don't do that. Please don't do that. I, I know that most of our congregation in here, I, I, I think you're in retirement mode, maybe, maybe, maybe. You have a lot of time to serve Jesus, a lot of time. Hey, folks, guess what? Moses didn't start serving Jesus till he turned 80. And he lived another 40 years. Pastor, I don't want to be 120. And be on, but still, though, but do it. Do you know that the IMB is saying that some of their greatest missionaries are those that are retired? Don't, don't waste it. We, we, we are all going to receive those things that are done to us or, or due to us what we do in his name. So you have the, the judgment of those that are living, those who are believers, but it says the dead there. Who are the dead? Those who never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those who are not saved. And we know what that spells out. You go to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 12. And you can go and read that account. That's the great white throne judgment, and they are judged. And everyone who stands at that judgment, at that throne, lives forever in a devil's hell. So you, you don't want that one. 
So we have really good things to live for. Now verse 6, it says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who were dead, that they might be judged according to the men of flesh. Now this dead here is different. This dead here are believers who have died. So Peter's dealing with the thought or, or, or teaching at the church there in Galatia or Asia Minor that those people who have died in Christ already at the time of this writing were not going to receive a reward or something. So Peter is dealing with this teaching, trying to correct this. He said, no. He said, those who are in Christ and who have died, they are going to be judged. They are going to be judged. It says, but notice this, that they might be judged according to men of the flesh, but alive according to, the, uh, to God in the Spirit. Don't worry about our loved ones. So there was this false teaching that they weren't going to receive a reward because they'd already died. And Peter says, no, listen, in order for you to have hope and to have a new way of living, our loved ones who have already gone on, even though they have died, they are alive to God in the spirit of Jesus Christ, in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to worry about our loved ones that we've taken out there. And folks, that ought to give us hope. I mean, that really ought to give us hope. So we have hope because we are saved. We have hope that not that we are continually being saved, but we're working out our salvation because we have this great gift that we have. But we need to live out that hope daily so people can see it. And don't worry about your loved ones that you've gone and buried. We know where they are. They've received their reward. They're with Jesus Christ, alive in the Spirit of God. And just know this, that should the Lord tarry and the rapture not happen anytime soon, we will be there with them as well. But I'm here to tell you, He's coming back, morning, night, or noon. He is closer now than he ever has been before. Folks, we have great hope. Live a new way. A new way of living is knowing that he has suffered for you. You don't live in the past things anymore, but you live in the new way. And live knowing that you're going to be rewarded for what you have done for him. What you have done for him. I want to close with this song. Uh, it, this was done by the Gaither Vocal Band. Last night I was watching some stuff and I was watching some Southern Gospel singing. And uh, one I was watching was uh, dear old sister Vestal Goodman. I, I remember when, when her husband Howard died and, and I was in seminary at the time. And then about a year later, a year later Vestal did. And uh, I'm going to say it the way we would in North Carolina. Ain't nobody can sing Rock of Ages like Vestal Goodman, especially verse 3. Y'all about to have revival in here. Good grief, day in the morning. Amen. My stars, y'all, golly day. Well, anyways, Gaither Vocal Band sings this song, Sinner Saved by Grace. And it's true. Uh, and it talks about what we've been talking about this morning. If you could see what I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, then I know you would see a miracle of love that put me in its sweetest embrace and made me what I am today, just an old sinner saved by grace. A new way of living. A new way of living. And don't just think of yourself as a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint of God. May we live it out and share it with those who need to hear it, a new way of living. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as we have our time of invitation and maybe for you and hopefully for you this morning, you've been encouraged and uh, you, you've struggled this past week and 
you've dealt with some despair and heartache. And, and I just want to tell you this morning that you have a new way of living. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to let a hardship overtake you or a sorrow overtake you. Though those things do come, but put them in their proper place. And so if that's you this morning and you've had that hardship, maybe come down to the altar and say, Dear Lord, thank you for lifting that off of my shoulders. Thank you for lifting that off my heart, off my mind. There is always something about the altar. These steps here are are very precious in any church. The kneelers are. They're extensions of the altar. They're very precious because it seems to do something that when we get up from where we're seated and we come down and we spend time with God, it seems to be that there's a genuine transaction. That we allow him to do some business with us and he changes us. And so if that's you this morning and you feel like that you're just not living that new way of life, Come down to the altar and say, Lord, help me to live that new life out. Uh, help me to be the person that you want me to be. And We'll spend enough time singing an invitation to allow you to have that time with God. For you, friend, if you don't know Jesus, you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't live any more in the past way of living. D- change. And you're not the one changing. God's the one changing you. You don't have to live that way anymore. That list of sins, lewdness and lust and drunkenness, rivalries, drinking parties, idolatry. You don't have to live that way anymore. If you'll just open your heart to Jesus, he'll save you. He'll take all that from you and give you all things new. And so if that's you this morning, we have our counselors that are making their ways to their spots now here at the front of the aisles. And you're wanting to be changed and you're wanting to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior knowing that God is pleased with you and not displeased with you. Come down and say, listen, I I, I want this Jesus that Pastor Scott's talking about. They'll walk through with you the plan of salvation and tell you what it means to be saved. And they would love to have the opportunity to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my friend, if that's you this morning, would you come? Maybe you're here with us and you've been visiting us for for some time. Maybe God wants you to join our church. And so during this hymn of invitation, you'll get up from where you are, come speak to one of the counselors, say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to join Downtown Baptist. Our mission at this church is connecting Jesus with Orlando. That we're trying to get the gospel out between 250 to 300,000 plus people. We need your help. And so if that's the type of church you want to be involved in and be invested in, come down and speak to one of the counselors and say, I want to join. You can join by transferring letter, by statement of faith, or by baptism. Would you make that your decision today? So that's our invitation. So Holy Spirit, this time is yours. Lead us, guide us, direct us as you want us to respond to you. And Lord, we just love you and thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people this morning said, amen. Would you stand as we sing this morning? And as we sing, you respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit.